0: Good morning and welcome to the podcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Today we begin with a live service recorded at Bethel Austin, where we recount some of the testimonies that happened during the healing school a couple of days before. Watch God move in an incredible, incredible way, and trust that this broadcast is going to bring healing to your heart and body as well. Last couple of days have been have been really amazing, landmark. I mean, I, 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 we love seeing the Lord move, but if we started sharing all the testimonies that happened... From Friday through Saturday to last night, it, we'd be here until, you know, Thursday next month. It, it was um, it was remarkable to watch God create a wave of power and healing that moved through the hands of people in this room, not the people on the stage, but the people in the room. As from the tops of heads to the bottom of feet, people started getting healed. And by the time we got done with the night, and uh, began to start just having people wave if you got healed. My goodness, just a sea of arms of people just giving glory to God. The middle of the message last, last night just felt like the Lord said, I'm just drawing people to myself now and just invited people to come just to, just to give their lives to Jesus. Place filled with people just laid out on the floor, <clears throat> just face down in the carpet last night and, and amazing stories of people giving their life to Christ and getting healed all in one night. And then turning and within five minutes of giving their life to Christ and getting healed, seeing healing happen at their hand. That's, that's called, (laughs) that is called normal Christianity. Yeah. (laughs) Some you are like, I've been a a Christian for 40 years. I've never seen a miracle. And I don't plan on seeing one. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Raise your expectations a little. (laughs) All right. I, uh, yeah, I got completely derailed this morning, and it's really Malachi's fault. So, mm mm-hmm. He's like, what? What'd I do? So... I I believe that the new covenant changed everything. That we are, you and I, because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, we bled into union with God. And he opened up a new and living way. When the veil was torn, Jesus said it is finished. The finished work of the cross was absolutely settled. And the torn veil opened up a new and living way whereby we access an unhindered, unbroken communion with God. It's available for you if you want it. Yeah. You say, whoa, you, Bill, you don't know what I've done. You don't understand what I've done. I I cannot come near a holy God. Right. Your sin has out your, your sin has out like outdone the blood of the cross. Trust me, you aren't that special. Okay, the blood of the cross, one drop of the blood of Jesus is enough to take care of the sins of humanity, past, present, and future, including yours, right? One drop of the blood of Jesus is enough to deal with every sin, sickness, and disease that we have. Darkness gets defeated at the cross, and you and I live to enforce that victory. It's never our job to preach a defeated devil back into business. For the sake of exploiting our ministry and making us look powerful. For God is firmly committed to the death of your ego. We do one thing. We have one message. Look at Jesus. See Jesus. Behold Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ beyond the cross validates the reality of the new covenant. Validates our innocence before God. And in that moment, he reconciled us back to the Father. It's almost as if, it's as if God, because of the ministry of reconciliation from the cross, says to humanity, because of what Jesus did, we're good. Why? Because our sins cast as far as the east is from the west. He's not counting our transgressions against us. But the majority of humanity looks back and God says, no, we're not. And I'm firmly convinced that what people are rejecting is not actually God, but they're rejecting a concept that religion has painted of the father that isn't represented in Jesus. I love talking to atheists, and this is the question I ask them, will you please tell me about the God you don't believe in? They never describe Jesus. And by the time they get done talking, I go, hey, I'm an atheist too because I don't believe in that God either, because that God looks nothing like Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus, okay? Because Jesus said this. He said, have you seen me? You've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus is who God has always been. Now, you may see a disparity between the Old Testament the Old Covenant and the life of Jesus, but the Old Covenant simply exists to pose one gigantic question to which Jesus is the answer. And if that had been enough to show us the Father in, its, in His completeness, His character, and His nature, we would have never had need for Jesus. But a confused, warped perception of God that we have beautiful record of leads up to an entire nation who Jesus gets introduced to for the purpose of accurately revealing the nature and the character of the Father. And Jesus, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that body is standing right before humanity who claims to know God, but they can't recognize him when he's a foot in front of their face. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 says, In Christ the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in that body. It goes on to say, In him you have been, past tense already happened, made complete. And so if we don't have an accurate picture of who God is as father, we will never know who we are for mermaid in his image and likeness. It's important that we see him clearly. So if you do choose to reject the one who reconciled you, at least you know who you're rejecting. You would be rejecting the one who from the cross looked at the people responsible for killing him and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not forgive them on the basis of their sorrow or even their repentance or the fact they feel bad for what they've done. None of those things existed there. Jesus looks at humanity who is actually wanting to kill him and releases grace over their ignorance because that's what he's like. He initiates with grace. It's not your repentance that accesses the kindness of God. It is the kindness of God that opens your eyes to the reality that the repentance is available. It's his kindness that leads us. He's kind to us, not because we're good people, but because love is the very nature of who he is. It's what he's like. When Jesus raises from the dead, he doesn't do what I would have done. I go to the house of the people that killed me. You know, not to hurt anybody, but I I would like to freak them out a little, you know? Knock on the door and be like, hey, how you doing? I'm back. Yeah. Why are you running? What's going on? Jesus has zero intention of doing this. He raises from the dead with one desire. Who wants to hang out? Anybody want to hang out? That said, he wants to go hang out with people who want to hang out with him. He's looking for people who want to be with him. Those people exist in the new covenant and the old covenant. They've been around for a long time, and the guy I'm going to focus on today is a guy named David, And, and in Psalm 27, this is where we're going to be today. I didn't let the media team know, but if you can pull up Psalm 27, any translation will do. Psalm 27, we're going to look at King David, and and I want to show you a time in David's life that I think all of you can identify with, and that is a time when, for, for David, he was going through conflict and circumstances that are unimaginable. He's the king over a nation, and he's the second king. All the nations around him want him dead, There are multiple wars and multiple fronts being fought against him. Not just that, but even in his own household, he's got enemies who would prefer to kill him, take him out of the way, and assume the kingdom. He's got all kinds of junk happening in his life. David is not having a good time, and this is what David writes. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, David has lots of reasons to fear, but listen to how he starts this. In a sense, what he's saying is, because I know who God is, because I know him as my light, in other words, in him there's no darkness at all, darkness cannot threaten the one who is the light of the world, who turned to you and I and said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So then when we realize that the light of the world is united with us, has taken up residence in us, we begin to understand that darkness can only threaten you and I when we forget we are the light of the world. Say, well, that's Jesus. That's not me. Where does Jesus live? And what has he made you because he's taken up residence in you? He's not, not made you like a vacation home or a place where he hangs out for an hour or two on the weekends. You are called the temple Come on. of the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, Father. So the holy of holies in the temple was just a room until the glory of God entered it. When the resurrected Christ fills you with the very breath and essence of his holy spirit where is the holy of holies now Yeah come on You right now sitting here are more the holy of holies than the room ever was You are the ark of the new covenant So David gets new covenant revelation. He says, the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In other words, I don't have to partner with a spirit of fear. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to consume my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. What, now, stop for a second. Wait, right now, you're thinking, oh, wow, David, what an amazing perspective you have. You must have a military strategy to overcome every obstacle that you're facing. And now David is going to reveal where his confidence is. And this is what he says, and he makes a hard turn into a completely different subject to reveal the passion on his heart. He says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and this will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And there's a couple of reasons why I want to do this to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. In other words, I just want to be where you are, to behold your beauty and I got questions. Anybody got questions? Listen, you come to God to worship the Lord. You bring your questions to God. I do this all the time. I want him to answer my questions, but he typically doesn't do that. Typically, he questions my answers. And then he leaves me with new questions. So I always like... I always grow knowing less. As he reveals more, I know less. I don't know if you, it'd be great if all of you knew me like 20 years ago when I knew everything. And now, now I'm like, (laughs) I know so much less now than I used to. This is what's called growing into childlikeness. Because you return to that place of wonder. Like, I don't know anything. I, that's what Paul said, right? He was super educated. And he said, I came to you determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. That's where we're growing into, the knowledge of nothing. Like, <laughs> what do you know? Nothing but Jesus. That's it. It's all stripped, all of my knowledge, intellectual, academic achievement, stripped down to the PhD in the knowledge of nothing <laughs> but Christ. Woo. May you all get a degree in the knowledge of nothing today. <laughs> One thing if I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire at in his temple. It says, for in the time of trouble, he'll hide me in the secret place of his tabernacle. He'll hide me. He'll set me up upon a rock. Now listen to this, super interesting. And now shall my head be lifted up, Above my enemies, round about me. Now, when we are surrounded by circumstances, maybe it's a job situation, financial situation, relational situation, uh, whatever it happens to be, sickness, disease, anything that feels like it's coming against, the, the, anything that is contrary to the values of the kingdom that's coming against you. All right? We can feel like we're in a battle or transition or a conflict of some kind. How many of you right now feel like you're in a battle, transition, or conflict of some kind? So you look around, you're not alone. Because these moments can actually make you feel like nobody understands me. But the reality is, as many of you right now are facing circumstances. That's true. And, and, and so understand that you're not alone. Now David goes, okay, he is in the middle you get this picture he wants to just be with the lord he wants that one thing to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple but now david finds himself standing firmly upon a rock could he possibly know that this is a prophetic picture of christ and now all of a sudden he sees enemies all around him now let those enemies represent your circumstances What do you want God to do when you're dealing with conflict, circumstance, sickness, disease, financial issue, whatever it happens to be? You want God to do one of two things when you're facing a conflict. You want him to deal with the enemies around about you or get me out of here, right? Create a division between me and the circumstances by either dealing with the circumstances or just remove me out of the picture altogether. Well, in this case, God does neither of these things. <laughs> I know, sorry, I heard somebody just said, oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not the answer I was looking for, Bill. So <clears throat> this is what happens. David goes, now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. The circumstances don't change and David doesn't get moved. One thing does change. His perspective. God, who is our glory and the lifter of our head, simply reaches down to David and goes like this. That's the only thing that changes. And watch David's reaction now. When he says, "Now shall my head be lifted up above all of the circumstances and enemies still around me. Now David goes into this mode. And I will offer in your tabernacle sacrifices of joy, singing praises unto the Lord. Amen. Now, if the enemies of David are all around him, let's say the actual physical army, they got swords drawn ready to kill him, and David's standing there, and he's one guy. And all of a sudden, he stops to have a praise break right Puts the sword down, drops the shield, lifts his hands. Oh, sacrifices of joy. He gets super happy. The enemies are going to look and go, this is not the way the battle typically goes. <laughs> look at this guy. He's delirious. He's out of his mind. But understand, there's a shift that's happened, and I want you to see it. Earlier, he said, one thing if I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Right? that's where he he wants to go someplace he doesn't feel like he is like I'm not there I want to get there and a lot of people in their Christian life are in a do more to get more kind of mode like you don't realize what you have been given and so you spend a lot of your Christian life working for what God has actually already given you by grace all right so David, now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me, and I, listen, will offer in your tabernacle. In. Now I will travel to go there. In the middle of the conflict, in the middle of the circumstances, nothing changes about the circumstances, and I don't move. But where I desired to go just a few verses ago, I suddenly realize I'm already there. that's the perspective shift it's so subtle it's so slight you understand this world's not far from an encounter with God I know revival and global just a global awakening awareness of the glory and the goodness of God seems like an unattainable reality but the reality is they are the blink of an eye and the draw of a breath away from an encounter with God I know people are like, man, we got to get every, Bill, we got to get everybody born again. Got to get everybody born again. I understand the new birth is a big deal. Uh, One night, a guy named Nicodemus, Nick at night, Nick, Nick at night came to Jesus by night. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God because nobody can do these things you do, but God is with him. John 3. And Jesus sets up, sets Jesus up for one of the most amazing verses in the Bible telling Nicodemus the one thing that Nicodemus has no clue how to do. You must be born again, right? Now that's become the litmus test. Something that Jesus told one guy in the middle of the night has become the litmus test for the entire body of Christ. And I believe it's true. The new birth is a big deal. But you know, we spent 2,000 years trying to make a formula out of how to get in, right? Like you pray this prayer, except this prayer, Church's prayer is different from that church's prayer. So we just pray them all. That was the way I grew up. I grew up, I went to every altar call. I just hit them all. If somebody said this altar calls for like Chinese women in their 30s, I'd be like, I'm there. I don't care. I just, why? Because I want to know that I know that I know that I know that I know, and my knower, right? But the reality is when it's up to you, you never really know. till you come to the end of your effort and begin to just finally trust Jesus, okay? So Jesus goes, Nicodemus, You must be born again. And Nicodemus immediately responds with the thing that we would all respond with, okay, what do I do? And this is the way he asks the question. Are you saying I must crawl into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Are you kidding me? And Jesus responds, goes, oh, whoa, hey, you're overthinking this, man. It's my paraphrase. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel at us say, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound thereof. You can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. Now, we lift that verse out, and we typically think of that verse as how to live life in the spirit by the wind of the spirit. But the context of what Jesus is talking about is actually how to be born again. In other words, take a breath. Nicodemus. Don't overthink this. Nicodemus asks, what do I do? And Jesus starts talking about the air. If you all took a breath in, you went like this, your body would take some substance into your lungs that is inside of you. It's a little bit of a miracle that happens here, transformed into something completely different. And when it is released from within you, It is designed to actually give life to the natural world around you. Kind of amazing that way. So Nicodemus hears Jesus give him an impossible task. You must be born again. Nicodemus immediately wants to know, how do I do that? And Jesus responds by saying, essentially, being born again is a breeze. Don't overthink it. Here's your sinner's prayer. Inhale, grace. Exhale, thank you. By the time you actually, I know, Romans 10, 9 and 10. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But it begins with something that happens in here. You begin to suddenly come to the end of your effort and draw in an awareness that where you want so desperately to go is already here. It's already available. It's not far. And suddenly we come to the end of our self-efforts to try to save ourselves, and we begin to realize that the finished work of the cross means that Jesus Christ, our single solitary Savior, saved us single-handedly, and he really didn't need our help to do it. And so we, we suddenly realize what the cross did, and we inhale the grace of God. And exhale, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Every breath is a prayer. Inhaling grace, exhaling gratitude. You do it thousands of times a day. How often do you think about it? You don't even have to. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. And this is it. This is understanding the reality of the new birth. It's closer than you think. Understanding the reality of all the anointing that heaven has for you is not far away it's super close why because it's in Christ and you've been given the holy spirit without measure john 14:20 jesus said in that day you'll know i am in the father you are in me and i am in you no distance no separation between us and him and when he comes he comes not in part he comes in person and he brings all of heaven with him into you so that colossians 2:10 you are complete in him lacking in nothing so much of the quest that we have to go get something from god is simply found in the realization that the presence we long for so desperately is closer than we think and the heart of our good father wants us closer than we even can comprehend this morning i'm sitting down here and uh, Joaquin was up here and he was just kneeling off to the side. And Malachi says to me, wouldn't you think it'd be okay if I go up and be with my dad? I said, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess so. He says to me, if your son were here, would you want him to be with you? I don't think Malachi knows I have a son. Wow. If your son were here, would you want him to be with you? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and I go, I go, Uh, I think it would make a dad's heart happy. I think every dad's heart would be so happy to be with his son. Yeah. I mean, it's the greatest thing. I'm I telling Malachi that, and that was all he needed to hear. And he jumps up and runs into the arms of his father. And I felt the Lord say, that's about right. <laughs> we make this thing of discipleship and knowing Jesus so complicated. And for me this morning, even though I've been preaching this stuff for decades, a six-year-old boy says to me, your son were here would you want him to be with you (laughs) I'm like more than anything we don't have to sing another song we don't have to do anything else that's the only thing a father wants is for his son his daughter to be with him that's it don't make coming to Jesus. Don't make giving your life to Jesus. Don't make getting healed. Don't make experiencing the power of God something you feel like you have, have to have a book or have to read a formula or, or attend a university or get a degree in order to figure out. Just say, thank you, Jesus that you want me to be with you, that as far as the east is from the west so far, if you remove my transgressions from me, that because you see me, because you see me pure, perfect, clean, because of what Christ has done, there's nothing that has to separate me from the holy, which is who you are. And so I just say yes, Jesus, to this reality that I realize you want to be with me more than I've ever wanted to be with you. So I let your Holy Spirit stir within me a desire to realize that union more than I've ever known it before. Do you think? (laughs) If your son was here, would you want him with you? What an amazing time it was to see God move in power. And you know, his desire is for healing and wholeness for all of us. You say, well, how come I'm not experiencing it? because you're not at the end of the story yet. And I promise you, when everything is said and done, every moment of pain, loss, betrayal and depression and hurt that you've ever, ever experienced in this life, there's something about the ability for the mercy and the grace of God to redeem every moment of loss that we've ever faced. And so I pray today is a day for your breakthrough, spirit, soul, and body. You can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Once again, Faith Mountain Ministries, box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. You can jump online at vanderbushministries.com or billvanderbush.com and click the give button. That's the best and quickest way that you can support this podcast and this ministry. Thank you so much for making it possible for us to do what God's called us to do. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.